Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, all that is going on. Lord, and it's great. We're happy about progress with the building and babies are being born and ministry opportunities are birth and, um, and so on and so forth. But Lord, I, I think what we really delight in this morning is the words of the songs that we sung, the truth of how much we need you and how you make yourself available to us, Lord, how you fill our hearts and you empower us uh, to walk with you daily. Lord, the joy that you place within our hearts regardless of our circumstances, the freedom from, the, from sin because we've been forgiven by, uh, of our sin. Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit to run the race well in the days that we have before us. Lord, all these things we just delight in to know that we go step by step each day and we're not alone but that Christ is there in us and with us. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that. Bless our uh, hearts as we uh, receive your word this morning. Lord, draw us really into your presence, uh, that we would really be, Lord, sitting at your feet as these words go forth and you administer to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4, we've been there in this book, I should say, now for about five, six weeks, so go ahead and turn to Proverbs 4. If you don't have a Bible, the usher guys and gals are going to uh, make their way through the, the sanctuary, and they'll give you one. It's much better if you're following along in that regard. Proverbs 4 is where we left off, and here we come again. If you've been with us, you know that a number of different occasions, Solomon is exhorting his son, you need to get wisdom. You have to have it. It's the most important thing you could pursue in your entire life. And he keeps going back to these points of exhorting him to get wisdom. Then he gives him a little wisdom. Then he exhorts him to get some more wisdom. And he gives him a little bit more. And you'll notice throughout this chapter, he once again, in different places in the chapter, will plead to his son. So quickly, look at this. Verse 1, he says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. He says to him, do not forsake my teaching. Look down to verse 10. He says, hear my son and accept my words. Verse 13, he says, keep hold of instruction and do not let go of it. Verse 20, he says, my son, be attentive to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. And so you see throughout the chapter, we'll go back and we'll look at it more closely, but throughout the chapter, he's exhorting his son. These words are important. You need to receive them. You need to apply them to your life just as he's been doing in the entire book, teaching his son to listen and to take heed to these words. And that's what God is exhorting us, certainly through the book of Proverbs, but throughout all of his scripture, I know the way to eternal life. Not just eternity, but eternal life here on the earth, or to use a different word, abundant life. I know the way to it. I created you, I designed you, I know how you should live your life, and I know where blessing is. So follow me. He exhorts us. And so here we have Solomon saying to his son, hear my words. Notice he says there in verse 2, because these are good words. That's a good word. Sometimes you'll hear a person, they'll come and they'll make a, a statement, and, you'll, and you just hear it, and you're like, that's a good word. I needed to hear that in this particular moment. And Solomon says these are good precepts. This is good instruction. This is good doctrine. This is good teaching. He says to him, don't forsake my teaching. That word forsake there, it means don't deny it. Don't say, eh, I'm not sure. Maybe in a different day and age, those words were important, but not today. He says, no, don't forsake them. Don't deny them. Don't cast them off. Don't despise these teachings. I want to do my own thing. 
despise these teachings and go your own direction. And notice, it's not because Solomon is a dad who wants peace and quiet at home. It's not because Solomon wants to be able to go to work and say, well, do you know about my son? My son's pretty awesome. In, real, in reality, say that I'm a pretty awesome dad. That's not what he's doing here. This isn't really for Solomon's benefit that he's exhorting his son to listen to these words, but it's primarily for his son's benefit. Throughout the chapter, you're going to see that. Now, as we move into verse 3 and 4, he essentially says this. I'll put it into my own words. He says, son, when I was your age, now kids love hearing that, you know, but he says, son, when I was your age, my father gave me good instruction. And now I pass that instruction on to you as well. We'll read his words. He says, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, I was a little kid, my father taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Now, if you know a little bit about your Bible history, you know that Solomon lived a life that, that didn't always adhere to the things his father had taught him. And Solomon went astray many times in his life. The book of Ecclesiastes reveals the, the fruitlessness or the vanity of his having done so. But Solomon realized what many of us will go on to realize and have gone on to realize, that hindsight is twenty twenty. And that when we look back on those instructions that we previously despised and said, well, dad, that's just dad saying what dad is going to say. When we look back, we realize, you know what? There's a whole lot of wisdom in those words from my father. And that which Solomon had previously rejected at points in time in his, uh, in his life, as he hit a certain age, as he hit a certain period in his life, he looked back and he said, you know, there's a lot of wisdom there. And he began to receive those words and apply those words to his life. And you'll notice he knows what he learned 25 years earlier when he was a little kid. And he can recall them. He says, my dad sat me down and taught me these things. And he just goes in and he starts recounting them. He didn't grab his notebook out from when he was five and he wrote down dad's notes. He knew them because dad shared those with him. And so he says there, when I was tender, only in the, the only one in the sight of my mother, that may, be, that may be as many as 30 years earlier. And yet those words still remain with him. And as I said, he begins to recount them. And so we see in verse five, he says, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, David would say to his son Solomon, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And so Solomon's father is David, King David. And King David, as we go back through these verses, he taught Solomon, notice there in verse 5, to get wisdom and to get insight. And you look at the end of verse 6, to love her and she will guard her. So he taught her, him, I should say, to get wisdom, get insight, and to make wisdom the passion of his heart. Love her. And just as Solomon told his son in verse 2, David tells Solomon, don't forsake wisdom. Because if you embrace wisdom, and this is a word for us as well here this morning, if you embrace wisdom, wisdom will embrace you. And wisdom will guard you, as it says there at the conclusion of verse 6. David teaches Solomon that Solomon's chief goal in life should be to get wisdom and get insight. And it's an interesting term. The word get there, it's a, 
Uh, it refers to a, it's a Hebrew term which refers to a business transaction, which means we could replace the word get with something like buy. And so Solomon says, buy wisdom to his son. Whatever you do, buy wisdom. The idea being, whatever it costs, make it happen. Sell what you have to sell to make it happen. Sacrifice what you have to sacrifice to make it happen. Trade what you have to trade to make it happen. Whatever it takes, get insight and get wisdom. This past week with the hurricane coming to Florida, as the news reports are saying, it's going to hit and it's going to hit hard and everyone should get out. I heard, I'm sure you heard as well, that in some cases airfare out of the state rose by as much as 1,000%. Everybody settle down. There's reasons why the computer just kicks in when there's a high demand and the airlines went and fixed it, so everyone's okay. They're nice people uh, in there. But there was cases where airfare that was previously $300 or less was in some cases now selling for $3,000, and that's for the seat back by the toilet. That isn't very nice there. And, but here, here's my point in bringing it up. People were paying it. People were paying whatever it took just so they could get out of the target zone. And the reason is, is because people valued their lives so highly. Or I have a friend who flew her daughter out of the area. She valued her daughter's life so highly, she was willing to pay almost anything to keep their life. David tells Solomon now, and now t- Solomon tells his son, that's how highly you must prize wisdom. Whatever it costs, go get it. She's that valuable. Now, we don't have to pay $3,000 to acquire wisdom or any amount of money. The Lord makes wisdom available to you and I if we would simply receive wisdom. If we would receive these words and let them take up residence in each of our hearts. And so Solomon here, he gives very sage advice. But as we said, we know the life of Solomon was one that persistently went astray from these things. He departed from the ways of wisdom. As a young man, Solomon knew the way that he should go, but to, the regret, to his regret later in life, he persistently did not go that particular way. And I think that's the difference between having insight or understanding, some versions say, where you know facts, you know principles, you know ideas, you know the doctrine, you know the rules, and walking in wisdom. So there's a difference between knowing and actually walking in wisdom, where you apply those facts and those principles and those ideas and those truths. Solomon learned these things from a very young age, but he didn't always walk in them. He knew about them, but he didn't always heed them. And it wasn't until he was older that he truly saw the value in applying these things and walking in these truths. And, and so really what Solomon now is saying to his son in, these way, in this way is, don't make the same mistakes I did. Don't go down the paths that I went down that I wish now that I never went down before. And so let me speak a word of encouragement. Some of us, we have kids that have grown and they're out of our house and they've gone astray seemingly from the, the information that we've instructed them with over the years. Solomon did that exact same thing but his heart never forgot the lessons that he had been taught. They were planted down into his heart. And the general principle of Scripture, remember Proverbs is a book of general principle. Proverbs 22 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's not a guarantee that every wayward child will return and get right with the Lord, but the general principle 
of the book of Proverbs and the whole host of scripture really is that the word of God does not return back void. And so friends today, if you have a wayward child, entrust them to the Lord's care. Continue to love them, continue to minister into their heart because we know that the Lord loves them more than we love them. And the Lord has a way of calling his people back into himself. Amen, friends. Be encouraged by that word. Continuing verse 10, it says, Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Now, he's done now quoting David. He's done now quoting his father's counsel that he was uh, referencing earlier. And now he resumes his own appeal to his son. Again, exhorting him to receive the words of wisdom. He says, accept these words. Uh, He says, walk in the paths of righteousness. And notice the promise then is so that the years of your life may be many, and that your step may not be hampered, and that your feet will not stumble. Now, this is not a universal promise that a life submitted to the Lord in his ways will always result in a life free from difficulty, or that it will be marked with longevity. The general rule, however, is that a clean life is conducive to a long life. It's so much the general rule, I find it interesting, that I, for instance, with my health care uh, coverage, they ask me questions about my lifestyle. Do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you jump out of airplanes? You know, do you ride motorcycles? They ask me questions about this things, these things, and as I answer those questions, my rate either ticks up or it goes a little bit down. Insurance companies do the same thing if you're trying to get... Uh, whatever, what do you call it, life insurance and things like that. They'll ask you these particular questions because the general rule of things is a clean life is conducive to a long life. And so generally speaking, the life of wisdom is a life of peace and health and prosperity, generally speaking. Now, I want to draw your attention to something in verse 10 that I think is very important, excuse me, verse 11. If you look at the verse, he says, I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of righteousness. Catch that, please, because I think it's key. He says, I've taught you the way of wisdom, and I've led you in the path of uprightness. So not only does Solomon tell his son, but Solomon models for his son. Not only does he teach his son the way of wisdom, but Solomon goes there first. And he exhorts his son to follow along with him. I think a lot of times as parents, we're really good at teaching our children, but we fail in the department of modeling for our children. And whether that is a relationship with the parents and their children, or with older students working with younger peers, or it has to do with relationships at work, if you're in any place where people are listening to you and looking at you, What they're doing is they're watching to see if your words measure up with your actions. Do you both teach and model? Of course, none of us are perfect. And so inevitably, at some point in time, what we do isn't going to agree with what we've been saying. But even in that, we have an opportunity to model the faith. Because even in our failure, we have the opportunity to model repentance and to say to another person, man, I blew it, I'm sorry and ask for their forgiveness, even as we ask the Lord for his. But our behavior, it crosses over into hypocrisy 
when we begin to defend our actions. We've crossed over into this line of duplicity where we're living these double lives when we begin to say, well, you know what? Just listen to what I say, not what I do. That's hypocrisy. I think the way, and I emphasize the word the, and I mean it, the way, I think, to turn people off to the message you have is to live a life that contradicts the message that you have. And I think this as well, at the same time, the way to turn someone on to your message is to live a life based on that message, where they can just pull back and they can watch. And they may not be impacted immediately, but as the years go by and as they see your life, they'll say, you know what, that's a guy that believes what he teaches, or she's a gal that believes what she teaches. If you truly want to in- impact someone, whether it's a coworker or a young person looking at you as an example, or your sons and your daughters, don't stop with just teaching them, but model for them the words of truth. It says there, Solomon taught the words, and then he led his son as well. I like William Arnault. I've told you many times, I've quoted him in our study here. He's the guy who wrote that book, Laws for Heaven for Life on Earth. And he said this, great is the effect when parents consistently and steadfastly go before their children, giving them a daily example of their daily precepts. But to teach the family spiritual things, while the life of the teacher is carnal, is both painful and fruitless. Amen? And maybe you failed in this area, and not just once or twice, but consistently you fail. Confess it as sin. A lot of times you think, well, I can't go back. No, you can. Confess it as sin. Confess it to the Lord. Confess it to the ones who failed. And here's the key. And then begin again. You get up, you dust yourself off, and you begin running your race once more. We went down to the Penn Relays the last bunch of years. And I don't really do a lot of track meets, but it was quite interesting to go down to the University of Pennsylvania and see the Penn Relays because the most interesting thing happens. You have people of all different skill levels. You have Olympians that are there, and you got some kid who's school said, this will be fun. Let's go do it, you know. And so they try to match you up. And the neatest thing is you could have the slowest guy out there trip and fall and stumble. But if that guy or that gal gets up and starts running again, it's the coolest thing in the world. The crowd goes crazy. Anybody been there? You know what I'm talking about? The crowd goes crazy cheering for that person simply because they're not going to win, but because they got back up and they started running again. I love it. I start crying in the, oh, this is so great, you know. This is wonderful. I wish my world was that way. But that's how the Lord treats you. So you stumble. You've failed in this area. You haven't always been the example you should be to your coworkers or your family or your kids. Well, confess it as sin. Dust yourself off. Receive the cleansing from God and get up and start running again. And be the example for the rest of the race that you have here. And you know what you will discover? There's another person running that race just a few steps in front of you, capital A for another, and that's the Lord Jesus. And he's modeling for you, and he's running the race ahead of you. And you just fix your eyes on him, and what's it called, drifting or something? Drafting, thank you. You just sort of run along with him. Let him run the race and clear the the hurdles that are in front of you. Fix your eyes on him. Run your race with, with endurance, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us. Now we continue on in verse 12. It says, now when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Sometimes our journey in this life is a walk, as you see there, when you walk. Sometimes it's a full-out sprint, as you see there it says. And if you run, but notice in both cases, the Lord promises to go with you along the journey. And notice it says he promises to clear your path. Your path will not be hampered. 
and you will not, your feet will not stumble. Now, I think the walking speaks to me of the day-to-day experience of life. You're just sort of comfortably, casually making your way. You're walking along. Running, it speaks perhaps of the times of crisis, those sudden spurts that are sometimes necessary in life or in certain seasons of our life. My wife and I were sort of coming into a period where I feel like we're not sprinting anymore, where the kids don't all have to be somewhere and we have to figure it out each particular day and we finally crash when we get home. Some of you are still in that life stage where your kids are young. Sometimes the sprinting is because of some medical thing that comes and all of a sudden there's the anxiety of what's going to happen. Sometimes it has something to do with work, whether it's a season at work, like we have accountants that go crazy in March and April and so on, or sometimes it's just the pink slips are being passed around. So there are some times where we're just walking along and everything is sort of mundane and we're just advancing our way in so almost in monotony, and other times we're running and it seems so crazy. For many, the hum, they hum along nicely when it's just a simple walk but the sudden rush of the crisis overwhelms them and they go crashing. I found many others, however, the monotony of the day-to-day drives the person either crazy or it lulls them to sleep. But when the crisis comes, they know where to turn and they look to the Lord. The promise of this passage is the Lord is with us both in the mundane and in the period of crisis that he's with us in both of those, piece, those periods of time so that we don't become disgusted by the one. So many people get so bored by the mundane, the day-to-day, and at the same time, we're not overwhelmed by the other. And here's the truth of these verses. As we nourish our relationship with Christ in the monotony of the day-to-day, he prepares us for the sudden rush of the periods of crisis. I've read this phrase, and I think it's a good one. It says, the virtue that comes out victorious in the crisis must be first formed in the monotony of the day-to-day. And so we seek him on a moment-by-moment basis. There's a commentator who said this, Alexander McLaren. He said, it's not the time, I like the picture he paints, it's not the time to make one's first acquaintance with Jesus Christ when the eyeballs of some ravenous wild beast are staring into yours and its mouth is open to swallow you. Unless the Lord has kept your feet from being straightened in the quiet walk, he will not be able to keep you from stumbling in the vehement run. And so certainly there we see this, the folly of this idea of turning to God only in times of crisis. Again, as 9-11 comes tomorrow, we remember that on 9-15, the first Sunday following 9-11, 15, 16 years ago, churches all across America were packed in the time of crisis. And many got saved during that time and continue to walk with the Lord. But many, when the crisis went away, they went away as well. God was there in that particular time. This foolishness in seeking him only in those times. We seek him as this passage teaches us. And we cultivate our relationship with him in the times that are mundane. Thus, we prepare ourselves for when the crisis will come. And the only way that we can do that The only way where he is brought into the periods of the mundane is to link all that we do to Jesus Christ. And so when we work, we do it unto the glory of the Lord. When we play, we play in such a way that he might be honored. When we interact with others, it's that Christ would be magnified and others would be drawn to him. What we do is we bring Christ into the humdrum and then we find him even more in the times 
of exhilaration, so to speak, when we're running. Now Solomon continues, he says, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go of her, for she is your life. He says to guard wisdom. Guard wisdom as you would guard your own life. The picture there is of someone holding on to something for dear life. And no doubt we're going to see some pictures in the next few days of somebody that's caught up in the rising waters down in Florida or one of the islands or maybe up into Georgia and they're clinging on a tree or they're clinging on to a signpost for dear life until someone will come and will rescue him. That's the picture. It's like the child that enters a scary intersection and instinctively reaches up to hold the parent's hand and is grabbing onto that parent's hand because of the fear of what's in front of them clinging to it, holding on to it, guarding it, not willing to lose it. Solomon says, guard her for she is your life. You have these repeated expectations or uh, exhortations. Guard it, keep it, get it, don't lose it, buy it, whatever it costs, take it. And the implication in all of these phrases is this, is that there are a strength of forces that are looking to snatch it away from you. So you've heard this word of wisdom, you've read this word of wisdom, but there are a strength of forces that are looking to snatch that from you. And the testimony of Scripture and of our own lives is this. We don't really need to do anything to lose wisdom and instruction. You just stop paying attention to it, and it'll disappear from you. It'll go away from you. If we do nothing to keep it, the world and our own hearts will make sure that we lose it. And so that's why Solomon continually is exhorting us, get it and lay hold of it. If you do that and you keep yourself in the way of wisdom, continually walking according to God's wisdom, the promise of Scripture is yours. And here's the promise of Scripture, Jude chapter 24. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Isn't that awesome? I don't, I'm not sensing it, friends. All righty. What an incredible promise of Scripture. He can keep your feet from stumbling. You can walk with Christ with your eyes on him and run your race well without defeat. That's the promise of Scripture. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Jesus promises uh, to keep us from stumbling if we'll keep ourselves in his wisdom. Now Solomon continues, 14, he says, Don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they've made someone to stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness <coughs> excuse me, and they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know over what they stumble. 14 to 19, warnings against who we do life with. And also in there, they contrast the way of darkness with the way of life. And so again in 14, he says, don't enter the path of wicked, the wicked. Don't walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Don't go down it turn away from it, pass on from it. We know this, <coughs> excuse me, that there is a progression of sin. I think all of us here can testify, amen. I've seen it. From walking to standing to sitting. 
from passing through to spending time to settling in to making ourselves comfortable. And so Solomon here says, don't even take the first step to enter the path of the wicked. He noticed the phrases. He says, avoid it, turn from it, just keep moving on from it. Years ago, I had a friend who, when he was in high school, he experienced the consequences of not avoiding the way of wickedness, sort of. I put it in quotations because it wasn't really a wicked thing. You'll understand that when I tell you the story. But my friend's name, his name is Kirk. And as many of us have experienced, Kirk was sitting in a high school class that became particularly boring. I suspect, based on how boring it was, it was probably a science class. I don't know. All right, that's just my suspicion. No, it was not a history class. We know that. Now, Sal, uh, my friend uh, Kirk, he asked for a pass, as many students do, just take a little walk around so that he could, quote, use the bathroom. You've all been there, amen? Anybody been there? All right, you've all been there. Now, the bathroom is right down this hall. But Kirk decides instead he's going to head to the bathroom this way. He's going to take the long way to get to the bathroom. And his alternative route, it took him through the highly populated gymnasium filled with a number of his friends, with a whole lot of action, including a highly intense game of three-on-three basketball. He didn't play in the game. There was a, a game that was going on. And I imagine you can understand what happened next. First, Kirk was passing through. Then he sort of shot over a couple of glances, saw the action, saw some people he knew. Then he began to draw nearer and nearer to the court. And before long, Kirk found himself in the ring of people that were standing courtside cheering on the participants. Certainly more entertaining than period seven chem class, as you can imagine. And it was a rush for his day. It kind of got him through the rest of the day, especially <coughs> when the action on the court spilled over into the crowd standing courtside and Kirk was either hit with an elbow or a head or something and he knocked out his front tooth completely out, lying there on the ground in a pool of blood. What was once a quick stroll through the gymnasium to the bathroom turned into a very painful and bloody experience for my friend Kirk. And to add insult to injury, the next day when he returned back to school, he was given a slip for in-school suspension for not being in his assigned area. Now, I love Kirk. Kirk's a good brother. We loved him so much. I haven't seen him in many years, but and so I don't want to throw the guy under the bus as the worst of all sinners, certainly. But I do think his, the story illustrates a point. There is a progression of sin. And first we walk down its path, then we stop and we stand, we take it in a little bit. And the next thing you know, we're fully engaged, seated, and making ourselves com comfortable. And in doing so, we are setting ourselves up for a painful experience. We've convinced ourselves that this is the place that's going to bring me joy, or peace, or happiness, or satisfaction, and we soon discover that the exact opposite is, is true. And so Solomon's father, David, he wrote these words in another place. This is from Psalm 1. He says, blessed is the man, notice the progression, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands, or maybe digression is a better word, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Do you see the digression there from walking to stopping and standing to being seated? And David says, blessed is the man who doesn't do that. Happy is the man who doesn't do that. 
We go to those places thinking they're going to bring us peace and satisfaction and happiness and the joy that we've been longing to, only to find they, they don't. What does, according to David, is a man who doesn't walk in those ways, but instead delights himself in the law of the Lord. That's where true peace and happiness and satisfaction is found. Now, so what are we to do? He says, don't go down those paths at all. What are we to do? Are we to go out of the world altogether? I would venture to guess that most of us, we have to go to a place of work each day where there are unbelievers or sinners living their life in a sinful way. Many of us, we have extended family members, and so when we gather with them, it's always sort of a test, a challenge of our attitude in the midst of the circumstance there. And so again, are we to go out of the world altogether? Well, certainly the Bible doesn't teach that. We know that the Bible teaches is we are to go into all the world and preach the good news. We're to go into all the world and to make disciples. So certainly we don't want to break off all interactions with the unsaved. Rather, our desire is to see them initiated into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you've heard the expression that we are to be in the world but not of the world. Solomon's exhortation here is not to break off all contact with the wicked. Though I will, let me just throw this out there. There are points in our life where we may need to break off certain relationships, where the relationship is having such an impact on our walk with the Lord that as politely as we can, we need to break it off because of the influence it has in bringing us down. But Solomon's exhortation here is not to break off all relationships with the wicked, but rather it's against joining up with the unrighteous in the sense of partnership, partnership in their plans here. That if we partner up with the unrighteous, soon we will find ourselves engaged in the actions of the unrighteous and before long experiencing the consequences of that engagement. And so he says the way to guarantee your safety is to not go down that path at all because it will bite you. Now in contrast to that, look at what he says in verse 18. He says the path of the righteous, not a way of darkness, he says it's like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter and brighter until the full day. The picture here is of the sun rising, the light of dawn shining brighter and brighter and brighter until it gets sort of to that highest point, perhaps in the midday sun. As we walk in wisdom, Solomon says here, as you walk in wisdom, as you keep walking in wisdom, the light of your path continues to grow brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's what our walks with Jesus Christ are supposed to look like. We're supposed to keep moving forward. We're supposed to keep growing in our ability to discern the voice of the Lord and the leading of the Lord. We're supposed to keep making progress, step by step, steadily conformed to the image of God's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you a couple of questions. Think through these questions. Are you continuing? Am I continuing to progress in my relationship with Jesus? Am I continuing to progress in my relationship with him? Am I continuing to move forward Or have I stagnated in my walk? Or perhaps have I even slid backward? In my opinion, if you stop advancing forward in your walk with the Lord, you're going to start sliding backward. I compared it recently to those moving walkways you see at airports and things like that. And if you're, let's say you're a kid or Richie, and you want to go the opposite direction, just kidding, brother. And you want to go go the opposite direction on one of those walkways or one of the escalators. If you walk at a fast enough pace, you can keep moving forward. But the moment you stop, you're going to quickly drop back. And I think this world is such the opposite of the things of God that the moment you stop, you're quickly going to draw back. 
And so are you progressing? Now, let me ask you this question, though. And maybe some of you want to take up this challenge. I don't really want to, but maybe some of you would. If you were to ask someone that knows you best how they would answer that question, how would they answer that question? Would the people that know you best say that you are growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or would they say you seem to have been falling back? My wife called me out on this recently, and I was so happy that she did so. It hurts, but it's helpful. And so I encourage you, maybe take that step. Ask someone that knows you well what they've been observing in your walk with the Lord. When we're living in the will of God, the path of your walk should get brighter and brighter and brighter. And I would say this, in proportion to the degree that you are drawing nearer and nearer to Christ, by that same degree, the light of your path is going to be magnified. So the nearer you are to him, the more your path will be illuminated and the more he will shine uh, for, your, for his glory in your life. And, but the opposite of that, the contrast, look at verse 19, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness and they know not over what they stumble. Now compare that little phrase, certainly with the one before it, but compare it with these words from John in the New Testament. The apostle John said, and this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There's the way of the wicked, as it says, it's like deep darkness, and God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God's ways are ways of light, and they are free of the obstacles and pitfalls that cause a man to stumble. Whereas the way of the wicked is a way of darkness that is littered with various stumbling blocks, so much so that one couldn't even begin to name all the different stumbling blocks that may trip them up. So Solomon's exhortation is keep yourself from the way of darkness. When we go to Israel, we go up in the Golan Heights area, and you can see Syria a couple football fields away. It's right there. Uh, And Lebanon, I forget which, I think it was Syria or whatever. And the most interesting thing, we're up on the Golan Heights, we're taking pictures and all of that. There was literally a civil war going on over our shoulder where five bombs went off as we, I I don't want to discourage anyone from going, but you're, you're hearing the explosions you're seeing the smoke go up in the air, and we're taking cell phone, you know, selfie pictures of us with the war in the background. And separating those two areas are these little barbed wire fences you might see on an old farm somewhere, you know, just a little, little string, and you could easily get through or over if you wanted to. But there's also these signs, and the signs are little triangles. I think they're yellow, and they have a picture of a little man's circular head with his eyes being blown out. And underneath in a different language, it says landmines, all right? And so you get the idea from that little picture, don't go down that path. Now, what they do oftentimes is they send animals through. Like say, let the the goats walk around or whatever, and ah, darn, we lost a goat today or whatever. And so they eventually learn how to navigate, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, or whatever it may be. I ain't going down that path at all because I don't know where those things are. If I want to avoid the potential problem of being blown up by a landmine, don't even go down there at all. That's Solomon's exhortation. There's a way of light. There's a way of darkness. The way of darkness is littered with stumbling blocks. He says to his son, just keep yourself from the way of darkness. Don't even go down that path. Don't try and navigate it. Don't get a map that says, well, here's the best way to get through it. Just stay away from it altogether. He says in verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart. 
all those exhortations. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your look... Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. And do not swerve to the right or to the left. Let me quickly go through some of this. It's a, some of it's straightforward. But Solomon is mapping out a plan for his son. And he says, first things first, be attentive to my words. So know my word, he says. That's what God says to us. Know my word. And then the second one, incline your ear to my sayings. Incline yourself to my word. Notice he first draws his attention to his son's ear. And now certainly we're not talking about the physical ear of a son. It's a reference to the things that we hear, the things that we listen to, the things that we allow to influence us. Because that which we allow to enter our ears will ultimately influence our mind and influence our heart and influence our decision. And so wisdom takes care of what it spends its time listening to. You probably think, oh, he's talking about that devil music that Kevin Tallickson listens to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. He's probably thinking of that, like you're thinking, I'm thinking, oh, that devil music. It may be. Certainly so. Those catchy tunes, they get into your head and they have a message that they're conveying. I'm not talking about some satanic message necessarily. I'm just talking about a simple mes- message. I remember Whitney Houston's song when I was a kid. And I was listening to her recently you know, on the 80s on 8 on Sirius. And I'm like, man, this lady could sing. And she could belt it out or whatever, and she had a great voice. But her message, what's her message? And there was this one song, and I've referenced it before, that the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. The greatest. I could sing it. (laughs) On my better days, I could have sang it. Is learning to love yourself. It is the greatest love of all. That's not true. That's not true. That's the exact opposite of truth, but it's a catchy tune, and it moves your heart, and it makes you snuggle up next to your honey, or whatever it may be, and the reality is it's not true, and so I'm not just talking, though, about, you know, satanic music. I'm not really even just talking about music at all. What I have found influences me is the overly negative, and so if I watch long enough the TV talk shows or Mark Levin on the radio, pretty soon I'm a pretty negative guy though I agree with many of the things he's saying, I become a pretty negative guy. Worldly counsel, what influences us, found abusive language, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea. So what we allow to influence us will eventually take up residence within our hearts. And so we need to be careful. The way of uh, wisdom takes care regarding the things that we incline our ear to. Secondly, he says, let them not escape from your sight in verse 21. Keep them within your heart. Second word of wisdom, map here for the plan of life, guard your eye. He says to him, keep my instructions continually before you in another place. And so as with the ear, we need to be conscious of what we allow our eyes to gaze upon. Eyes that are fixed straight ahead suggest a walk with a singleness of purpose. And I don't have the word here for the screen, but Hebrews chapter 12, it teaches us that we are to run our race with endurance with our eyes firmly fixed on a lot of different answers. Ultimately, Jesus. Your eyes firmly fixed on him. Run your race with endurance. In 25, he's going to say, let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight before you, he says. The way to keep our heart, according to Solomon here, 
Ultimately, that's what this all comes down to, is to focus your eyes on the Lord. If your eyes are focused on wickedness, your heart will soon go that direction. Because the heart wants what the heart wants. And the heart gets what the heart wants. Now, of course, Solomon's not just interested in our mind, or excuse me, our physical eye, but he's interested in our mind's eye. And that ultimately, that's our heart. You, you, all kinds of names for it, but that's our heart. And so he adds, keep these instructions in your heart. Whatever your heart loves, your, eye, your ears will soon be listening to, your eyes will soon be seeing, and your lips will not long be talking about. And so Solomon says, guard your ears, guard your heart, guard your, uh, guard your eyes, but most especially says, guard your heart. Notice verse 23, because from it spring come forth the springs of life. So I brought this up last week. Do you really want to live as God created you to live and really partake in the abundant life that Jesus spoke of? then the way to have that happen in your life is to guard your heart and to incline it toward God in his ways. And the promise of Scripture is that when you do that, the springs of life will spring forth from your heart. 23 again, keep your heart with all vigilance, excuse me, for from it flow the springs of life, abundant life, as Jesus talked about. He continues, Solomon, he's mapping out this plan for his son's life. He says in 24, put away from you crooked speech, put devious talk from you. He told him to guard his ears. He told him to guard his eyes. He told him to guard his heart. Now he tells him to take watch over his lips. And another place he, we read this in Proverbs, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. I can't help but think of that phrase from World War II, loose lips sink ships, they used to say. Well, I think in the same way, if we don't guard our lips, as the promise of Scripture here or the statement of Scripture says, it will impact you. And so he says to guard his lips. The way of wisdom is one that is slow to speak and quick to listen. The way of wisdom is one that carefully weighs their words, the words that come out of their mouth. It's the one that continually makes himself aware that there's a third party that's listening in, the Lord Jesus, capital P, and with that knowledge, takes careful guard of their lips and puts devious talk away from them, as the passage says there. That's the way of wisdom. Now, let me give you one final point here. He says, guard your ears, guard your eyes, guard your lips. He says, keep your heart. And finally, the fifth instruction here to his son is ponder the path of your feet. You see that there in 26, ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. That word ponder, it means to weigh to make level, to uh, assess, uh, might be a phrase. I think of uh, the land surveyors that will sort of lay, they'll lay out the tripod and they'll survey the land that is ahead of you. That's this idea of pondering. It's interesting, as we're going to get to chapter 5, we're going to see next week, not today, but in chapter 5, it will tell us that the Lord weighs, or ponder, same word, that the Lord weighs all of man's paths. Chapter 21 of the book of Proverbs says that the Lord ponders or examines or weighs every man's heart. And previously in the Bible, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we learn there that the Lord weighs every man's actions. And so if the Lord is going to judge our paths and judge our hearts and judge our actions, don't you think we would be wise to do so as well in preparation for the day that he is going to do so? If you knew you had an exam at school, 
And you had one of those teachers that said, this is on the exam. I remember we had a teacher when I was working. I won't tell you their name or whatever because it's awful what they did. But they, the school basically said, we're not hiring you back next year. And she said, oh, really? And so she had to give a department exam that everyone had to have. And her way of sticking it to the school, she put all of the answers to the exam and she gave them to the kids. She said, study this and you'll get an A. Sayonara. She was a Japanese lady. Apparently not. I'm just kidding. She said, I don't care. Now, if you believe that lady and you knew all of these answers were going to be on that exam, you'd be a fool to not look at it, to not study it. You are going to be examined by the Lord. Every one of us here is going to be examined. He's going to ponder the ways of your heart, the paths you went down, the actions you, you participated in. You would be wise to prepare yourself for that examination and know this, that the standards by which he will judge your life is the word of God. Nothing else. Not, well, everybody else around me said this, or I just followed my heart and wherever it took me. Nothing else that you hear all the time. But you will be judged by the standard of his word. By the word of God, our paths and our actions and our hearts will be weighed in judgment. And so wisdom says, ponder those paths according to the word of God. And the best time to ponder any path you might go down is not at the end of the path, not looking back and saying, so what was that like? It's not even in the middle of the path, but it's before you go down that path. And that's why these words, I think, are so significant for the young people we have in our church. Because you're building the life that is before you. And I consider, I'm just, how privileged you are to sit under my teaching. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> how privileged you are to have these words in front of you, and you have some older folks around you, that can pour into your lives as well because you're building your life and you can build it on the way of wisdom and what the Lord might want to do in you and through you. And that's why these words are so valuable. So young people take care. Where are they? Where's your path going to lead you? What will you encounter along the way? Now, there's a bunch of old people here as well. And so I'll quote, I'll quote, you know, the old Led Zeppelin song. Old people know it. But that, I forget the name of it. Uh, Stairway to Heaven, it said, there is still time to change the road that you're on in that song. You remember that song? And there's some truth to that phrase, even though there's not a lot of truth in the band Led Zeppelin. But there's some truth in that phrase. Because that means even if you have previously set off down the wrong path many years earlier, God still calls out to you. There may be lingering consequences of our previous decisions, but the Lord still promises his presence and his wisdom as we submit him, ourselves to him in a fresh way. Bringing, as I love this verse in Isaiah chapter 61, bringing beauty from the ashes. He has a way to take even the negative of the past and the consequences of the past and to bring about good even in the midst of those. And so whether you are a young person just sort of starting out or you're an old person that has some baggage in the past, submit your ways to the Lord today and watch what he does with the path that you're on. Here's our takeaway from today. I don't know if you've been doing this, but I've basically been picking out one key verse in each chapter that sort of speaks of that chapter and trying to sort of meditate on that, maybe even put it to memory. I think this, the key verse of this chapter is this. Maybe you might memorize it this week. Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from, it, for from it flow the springs of life. Because if the fountain is pure, the stream that flows from it will be pure. And so we keep our hearts. And here's 
one last point of encouragement. As you keep your heart, the Lord will keep you. So you're not in this in and of yourself. And I'll remind you again of Jude chapter 24. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Whose joy? His joy. Come on. You bring great joy to him when he presents you to the Father? That's ridiculous. There's nothing about us that should cause great joy, yet he delights in us and the work that he has done in us and that we are his redeemed children. This stuff is something else, man. With great joy, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forever. Amen. Here's the word. Cast yourself upon him. Nourish your relationship with him. Practice his presence moment by moment and submit yourself to his leading. And the promise of scripture is that he will keep you from stumbling and present you blameless on the day before his father in glory. Amen. Amen. Father, we delight in that. You're so good to us, Lord. And we love you. We appreciate you. We're grateful, Lord, that even as we sort of commit ourselves, we're going to keep to the way, Lord, that we're not in there in and of ourselves. Lord, we know that those in the Old Testament reading this didn't have the power to walk in your ways. And really, as Paul says in the New Testament, the Old Testament law simply revealed the need for something more. But Lord, here as New Testament believers, having been set free from the chains of sin, having been empowered by the Holy Spirit, Lord, you enable us to walk in newness of life, and we delight in that. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would fulfill your word here in the book of Jude, that you would keep us from stumbling until the day of your glorious appearing. Lord, that you encourage us, energize us, and as a body of believers, Lord, that we would encourage one another. Come on, we can do this. We can run this race with our eyes firmly fixed on him. So use this word, Lord, to invigorate our hearts, I ask in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.